with finance, we need to kind of release ourselves from the words should, best, optimum. Welcome to The Restless Midlifer, the podcast for those of us looking to rediscover the adventure in life. Find out more at restlessmidlifer.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Restless Midlifer podcast, formerly the Sprout Sweater. And uh, it's great to have on the Restless Midlifer my first guest, although officially in the, the life of the podcast as a whole, this is our ninth guest. But I'm really excited to have Mr. Pete Matthew on as our first guest for the Restless Midlifer. Pete hosts, amongst other things, a podcast called Meaningful Money. And it's a great podcast for just upping your knowledge and um understanding of how to manage money and I'll let Pete explain a bit more because there is a particular reason why I wanted to invite him on to the Restless Midlife podcast so without further ado just in to uh, say hi Pete how are you doing? I'm really well David thank you for having me mate and uh, thank you for, for listening to Meaningful Money and uh, th- thank you for the kind words yeah yeah I'm doing really well down here in Penzance obviously we're recording this what just not that long before Christmas week and a bit and yeah. uh, quite looking forward to the <laughs> the downtime to be honest but uh yeah so lots of stuff uh going on here meaningful money's been like a passion project for 11 and a bit years now incredibly can't believe what a massive part of my life it's become yeah. um and uh yeah i mean do, do you want me to sort of just sort of explain the, like the history of it very briefly so that yeah, folks go for it. give us a bit of background about you and, and the podcast okay well, I'm a chartered financial planner, which is just a fancy way of saying I'm a financial advisor. Really have been pretty much man and boy, dropped out of my electronics degree because I couldn't do the maths, ironically, and uh, worked for McDonald's where I'd been uh, working as a sort of burger flipping student skivvy part-timer. Went into management for them, which was a real eye-opener and actually a real education yeah, in, in real life work, you know. Um, but uh, the shifts were intense and my wife was a pediatric intensive care nurse at the time so we never saw each other and six months after we got married it was pretty clear that we if we wanted to stay married one of us would have to change our shift pattern and given that she had a degree and I didn't uh, that would have to be me so I had a mate who worked for the co-op insurance and who got me into this glorious uh, profession which is financial advice of course, it hasn't covered itself in glory. Uh, you know, in the past, it's uh, like a lot of professions littered with mis-selling scandals and uh, occasions where certainly the, the customer hasn't been put first. Uh, but, you know, it's I absolutely love what I do because as a financial planner, my job is to help people really identify and um, vocalize what they want to achieve in life where very often they hold themselves back for financial reasons, but only because they don't necessarily fully understand that actually money uh, can be put to use to help you achieve your aims. So financial planning is the process of saying, where are you now? Where would you like to be? And how do we get you from A to B? And it's nothing to do with products. It's nothing to do with whether we choose a pension or an ISA or whatever. That's the very last step. Really, my job is about managing people, not about managing money. It's about helping them understand the system and then make the decisions they need to make in order to put their money to best use. So I love what I do uh, for a day job, but 11 and a half years ago, I decided I wanted to help more people than I could ever help just one-on-one. And uh, I read a book by the legend that is Gary Vaynerchuk, who you know many will have heard of, a bit of an internet legend. And among other things, I just thought I would have a go, set up a video camera down on the prom here in Penzance, and started talking to it about what I, how money works and how people could understand it and things like that. So I did nearly 300 videos, got hardly any traction. Nobody was watching. And then I switched to podcasting in late 2012, started taking it seriously in the spring of 2013, went weekly, then committed to doing a weekly show. And that's what's kind of been the breakout medium for me. So we're sort of 5 million downloads, 440 episodes later, and I still absolutely love turning on the mic and, and recording every week. So uh, it's, I feel very privileged that I get to have a load of fun playing with technology and, you know, meeting great people like you and the tons of guests I've had over, over the, the years and, um, and getting paid for it. <laughs> it's wicked. So I'm a very happy man, David. Great. Cool. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's, you, you've covered a few things and th- this is, I mean, the podcast for me was the first, well, I, I got recommended um, by a, a mutual contact, Laura Perman, who's a photographer. Oh, of course, yeah. A great photographer. Um, and yes. 
uh, God, it must be three, four years ago, if not more. Um, and because it was an area that, you know, and this is, this is how it ties into the rest of the midlife for me. As somebody who's moved from a profession that was very secure, policing, you know, you have mm-hmm. your, I was told when I joined, just get, you, get your two years under your belt, son, you'll be set for life, that kind of thing. You know, pension was taken care of. Didn't need to worry about that. You'd yep. get a bit of overtime and probably blow it all. And, and like probably a lot of us, um, max out, your debt and what you spend each month because you think, well, pension's taken care of. It's all sorted. I don't need to worry about it. And getting into a place really where I didn't have that language or that understanding. And when it came, became apparent that this is not the job that I wanted to do for the rest of my life, you know, I got to about seven years and thought, God, is this it? Like, mm-hmm. is, this it? is this me? But because of the nature of the financial ties and knots and things that I'd, I'd got into mortgage, you know, debt, that course, kind of yeah. thing. It was initially very, very, almost, well, I would say almost impossible for me to believe that I could get out. And then it took me a lot of years to untangle that to a point where I thought I'll get out. And then I made a right mess of jumping into my business first time, had to go back to policing and had to learn those lessons. But without that art, that understanding, the basics of the financials, I struggled and I made some silly mistakes. And I think that's the key. That's where the podcast came in very useful, listening to your podcast. But this is why I want to particularly pick your brains today. Yeah. I, you know, none of us are born knowing this stuff, man. I mean, it's like, you, you know, you put a 17-year-old in a car and ask them to, you know, put them up against Lewis Hamilton or something. That ain't going to end well, right? If they've never yeah. been in a car for the first time. Because we don't, we don't have an intrinsic sort of God-given knowledge about how how money works we have to be taught it and and the problem is we're not it's not part of the curriculum we don't learn it at school at college or even in the workplace and while there are some you know some moves towards that there's a heck of a long way to go so when i said money can be an enabler it can also be a disabler if you don't understand Mm -hmm. it or if you don't you know if you've not got yourself in a position where it can enable you to do stuff and so like everything understanding is is the lion's share if you understand it it's a lot easier than to implement and actually take steps but you know you you've got to either either you're very lucky and you grow up with parents who teach you this stuff i did not right my wife taught me everything i need to know about managing money Again, ironic that I do what I do for a living now. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was terrible when we got married. That was before I became an advisor, I should say. Um, you know, she graduated university with a positive credit balance and a new leather jacket and bought a car, right? I graduated with student loans and a massive overdraft and barely making it to the end of every month, you know, with with without increasing my overdraft so she told me everything about money management and basically handled our family finances for ages she had to teach me i didn't know uh, uh didn't know it uh and didn't pick it up by osmosis so if we don't have good parents or you know a really forward-thinking teacher who sort of adds it to the uh to the curriculum somehow how are we supposed to know this stuff right fortunately it's easier than ever to learn but you've got to take that step to decide to learn yeah. And I think that's a good point because you've also got to find the right sources or teacher because there is the, there are the other narratives around this. Aren't yeah. there? And I, Lots I, of terrible ones. Yeah. And I fell for that, you know, and I've talked about in previous podcast episodes, this idea of, you know, just, you know, you, you set in your business, jump, just jump off and build your wings on the way down, that kind of thing. And, and kind <laughs> of whatever. Well, I mean, I hit the ground and crashed and burned. I didn't yeah, even take any tough. materials to build the, the bloody right. wings. So, so it was like, it was a complete lack of knowledge and yeah. believe, not necessarily believing, but falling for that risk taking. It'll be great. You know, that, that kind of narrative that, that is around. I mean, there's lots of them. There so is, and you're, you're dead right. Sorry. There is, even though it's easier than ever to learn, you have to be really good at applying a filter and that is itself a learning process because if there's one thing the pandemic has taught us, right, is that any idiot can set up a camera and make themselves look as if they're in the newsroom and start talking about anti-vaccine and and all the garbage that's, you know, the sort of conspiracy theory stuff. Um, And they could do all that and it kind of looks legit, but it's easy to look legit, right? I'm sitting in my office in Penzance and the studio here looks all right. So anybody can do that, right? With graphics and cheap software and a bog standard webcam. Mm. So it's hard to know uh, where the, the information you're getting is, is legit. From my point of view, there's a slight, I have a slight advantage in that I am professionally qualified and regulated, right? So yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got, I have to tread a very fine line. 
And that drives me nuts sometimes because I watch a lot of other YouTubers and podcasts who are not regulators, not regulated financial journalists who are not regulated. They can say what they want, really, mm. whereas I can't. Um, and very often that is frustrating. But folks listening to me and others, advisors who have got great podcasts and stuff, at least you know there's some you know, professional qualifications behind it and some professional experience and some regulatory oversight, which is important, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And with that, the ability to then break things down into a way that doesn't overwhelm. Because yeah. Yeah. I know that there's in the times um, where I was trying to sort of learn, relearn, or, you know, just start learning later in life, I felt yeah, very overwhelmed and also feeling like, oh, it's too late anyway, you know? Yeah. You know, it's too late to do all this. Yeah, you know? I, I do hear that a lot. It's never too late, but I do hear it a lot. Yeah. Obviously, the earlier you start, the better. But it's never too late to improve your financial situation. Uh, you'll usually have to throw more at it the later you start, mm. right? But and th there will probably need to be an, uh, a kind of a management of expectations that if you start, you know, if you start from zero in your fifties, you're probably not going to retire a millionaire. Probably yeah. not. But you can retire comfortably and well uh, with some good controls in place. But you're right, distilling it down to the stuff that really matters. One thing that I hit upon entirely by accident when I started the podcast was putting it into kind of two sections, everything you need to know and everything you need to do. So it's like, okay, whatever the subject is today, whether it's, you know, the pensions annual allowance, it's a pretty niche little thing, but I'll, I'll sort of do 10 minutes and saying, this is what it is, this is how it works. And then in light of that information, here is what you need to do, right? And you know, I'd, I'd love to sort of claim some kind of genius there, but it was entirely fluke, right? It just, it, but it has really worked for me and it's really mm. resonated with my audience because you can be fairly bite-sized and yet go into enough detail that people can then go, okay, I get it. And I know what I need to do with it, right? which is crucial. Information is great, but unless you know how to implement it, then what's the point, right? We're just getting slightly more knowledgeable without actually getting any richer. So, <laughs> you know, I need to do both ideally, otherwise what's the point? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I, and I think this is part. This is one of the key reasons why to, I wanted to have you on the the podcast is to is to talk through the you you talked about how you a lot of your role is managing and supporting the person, yes. uh, and you know as opposed to the advice, which is kind of at the back end of it. Mm -hmm. And I think you know my own experience reflects that. You know, how do I manage my overwhelm? How do I start to break this? As I talk about with the sprout sweater metaphor is about chunk the cabbage down, the, the big thing down into small sprout size steps. A, so I can manage my overwhelm, but B, so I can put in place consistent habits that I can almost set and forget yes. whilst I get on with life. Um, so I guess in terms of it, what I'm thinking about is, is those of us who are in that position where perhaps um, we might have that career, we might have a particular path in life, um, and we are asking ourselves that question, is this it? Is this, you know, is this what, what I'm about till I retire? Um, and how, firstly, the answer to the question is, no, it's not. There's a lot more, yes, but then yes. what can I do with it? And part of that fact that we have to factor in, people will factor in, is that feeling or, or that, that financialist aspect. You know, where am I at? And, and, and am I, you know, at the limit of what I'm in and out? Yeah. And how do I start that process of just freeing up a bit of space, financial space to even play or experiment? Yeah. So, I mean, I think you, you, your starting point, really, whatever your situation, whatever your life stage, all financial planning comes down to income and outgoings. End of, right? There is nothing. It doesn't matter. Pensions, man, we'll get to that. That's about 18 steps down the line, right? Yeah. It's, you know, Bitcoin... <laughs> Yeah, right. Right. You join. What the only thing that matters and the thing which determines our sense of financial control is are we managing the money that comes in every month and making sure that we're not quite spending it all by the end of the month? Right. That's everything there. It really is. So you know, I, I kind of distill everything down into three steps, which is spend less than you earn. Insure against disaster, the stuff you can't control. And then on that foundation, build wealth for the future by investing, right? Really, that's what it's all about. But if we're talking about potentially making a midlife career shift or uh, sort of shifting down a gear or, or whatever, pro we're not going to be able to do that if we're living absolutely to our means. Yeah. I'd love it if there was a, 
like a kind of a hack or a workaround, but there isn't, right? So, you know, if you've got two grand a month coming in and you're spending 2,000 quid, you can't take a career break for six months unless you've got 12 grand saved. So you can pay your two, two grand a month bills for six months and not earn anything. Okay, so you're starting to get the picture here. You need to put a buffer, a financial buffer between you and you losing your income, either voluntarily because you're taking a break or God forbid, you know, something happens, you know, serious mental health crisis, you put your back out and can't work for six months, all that sort of stuff. It really is about putting a buffer between us in the world. Living paycheck to paycheck is an incredibly precarious place to be. We take a lot of things for granted, our health, our ability to earn an income. We need to understand that our biggest asset by far is not our house. It's not our car. If we've got a very nice car, our biggest asset is our ability to earn an income. We multiply our income by our 40-year career. It's a big number, right? And if we take that away, either voluntarily or because of something that happens to us, then we're in trouble. So we need to try and build a buffer between that. And all that does is it gives us then freedom. One of the things I say all the time to clients is that wealth gives you choice. And wealth, don't, I mean, hear me right. We're not talking about being mega wealthy here, but having money to one side that you can draw from if you need is an incredibly freeing factor, right? You have 20 grand in the deposit account or in an ISA or whatever, you know, you're not going to be able to retire on that. But you could maybe just go down to four days a week while you just get some headspace. Mm. Or you could say, do you know what? I'm going to stack shelves or do something where I don't have to think. I'm going to come out of my middle management, fairly stressful, working too much in the evenings and weekends kind of job and go down to just do something that I'm being paid two thirds of what I was, but I don't have to think, clear my head, decide what I want to do. Or I'm going to, you know, I've got a year's worth of money to pay my bills to one side. So I've got a year where I can go flat out on my business idea and see if i can make it work right all you're doing is you're putting yourself in a position where you've got choice wealth equals choice simple yeah Mm -hmm. i love that yeah and actually you you you, a couple of things are coming into my mind that um a a very recent thought actually that uh, that i might just bounce off you because this this podcast is it will be going live sometime in january if uh, january 2022 and um i recently i've just i haven't started reading it but um i've just come across a book that was recommended um called four thousand weeks okay not come across that it's 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 a t- different kind of time management book. I, and and the, I think the idea is that the average life is 76 odd years, which equates to 4,000 weeks. So it's a way of reframing your life in that sense. Okay. And um, for me, what it's getting me to think about is the idea, really what I said about initially with my business was to develop a lifestyle around it. Now, in the first place, when I first did it, I was just delusional <laughs> because I didn't do everything that you've suggested. Second time around, I tried to build that and I'm still building that around that. But the idea of building a lifestyle for me was to then build in some, some ability to, I guess, almost work term time. You know, that, you know, I know some jobs offer that, but to work a place where perhaps six weeks summer holidays, I can actually take that yeah. time out for the business. But what do I need to do in order to do that? And I guess this is a this is might be a, a question to explore for for those you know listeners. If we were to say, you know, I've got twelve months. I'm going to give myself twelve months to work towards being able to take four to six weeks just off, mm-hmm. like a mini sabbatical kind of thing next year. Um, I am in that place where perhaps I am maxing out every month. I've got a few savings. I've got a pension in the you know in the yeah. background, but you know that that's not going to be drawn for ages. Gotcha. Where would you, how would we start this process of preparing ourselves towards that? 12 months may not be realistic, depending on the state that somebody's in and what they're earning, but let's just use that as a bit of a a kind of thought exercise, I guess. I think the first thing I would be doing is sort of separating my expenses into, I tend to call them basic leisure luxury these days. So basics are the stuff that you absolutely have to pay. So obviously mortgage, rent, house insurance, food, Keep the lights on, uh, maybe travel costs if you have to travel to work, you know, so whatever, right? Those are your sort of bare minimums. So it doesn't include Sky, doesn't include golf club membership, doesn't include the gym, right? Those will be leisure. So they are discretionary, right? So yeah, the golf club, gym, um, 
you know, depending on what's important to you, some people might say, well, yes, I absolutely have to have my nails done, you know, the regular or my haircut regularly, or, um, you know, I do absolutely have to, for my mental health, go to uh, the golf club or whatever. You have to exercise some discretion over this, but you really need to understand what's, what can I pay out every month as an absolute bare minimum? What is le- leisure and what is the stuff that I really don't need but makes life nice? Luxuries, right? So mm-hmm. holidays, right? We can survive without going to Menorca for a fortnight, right? Not to say we have to, but we can if we need to. Yeah. And so I think that we need to, by identifying where those costs are, we can say, right, actually, for the next six months, I'm going to drag it right down to the basics, maybe just plus a little bit right you don't want to live none of us want to live like a monk right you've got to live for today <laughs> but if you want to achieve something in the near-term future you've got to save up for it and again it wouldn't be great if there was like a hack or something that nobody ever yeah. thought of and it's like actually you can make this really easy of course you can you can borrow money to do it but that never ends well no so don't do that so i would i would pull back expenses for just a period of time in long enough to amass whatever you need to do to take that break. So if you say, right, okay, if I earn nothing for six weeks, how much do I need to tide me through? Three grand. Right. Okay. I'm a year away. That means I've got to put 250 quid a month away to get to my three grand. All right. It's simple math though. So it's, you, we need to work back from that and say, how am I going to find that 250 quid a month that I need between now and then? Of course, when it comes to budgeting, you can spend less. You can also earn more. So it may be that actually in the evenings, you're going to spend some time looking for ways to earn more money, right? Of course, you, you may be adding a boatload of work, extra hours. That might not be the right way to go. So at least you've got two levers you can pull. Yeah. Maybe that's it. I don't want to work any more hours. I'm already knackered as it is. I don't want to kill myself before I get to my six weeks sabbatical. <laughs> so I'm not going to work anymore, but I am really going to pull back on the costs. It's only maths in and out. So if I need to find 250 quid a month to put away for the next year so that I can have three grand I can just draw from next summer while I do nothing, then work back and work out how much you're going to save. Again, no shortcuts. But you know, don't try and get fancy by, well, I'm going to invest that and try and double it in a year doesn't work like that what well, it does but that's called going to vegas <laughs> yeah. that's much more likely to go the other way um or buy into any sort of get rich quick yeah. schemes you know put it into bitcoin you'll double it in six weeks you probably won't right yeah. that, that sort of thing so you know d- don't try and hack the system don't try and shortcut it don't try and think well actually this is a great tip that nobody else knows about there's a stock here that's going to go nuts i'm just going to buy tesla or whatever nobody really knows how well it's going to or whatever do you know what i mean don't try and yeah. shortcut it there isn't any particularly not with short time scales if we're talking a year or maybe even two years the only way is to amass the money you need and in, the only way to do that if you're currently living to the max is to stop living to the max sucks doesn't it yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah you wanted sort of magical uh, oh. sort of silver bullets didn't you but there isn't any yeah, exactly. And I think, but I think this is it. It's about getting the cogs working and thinking about your own yeah. situation. Right. So what have I got? One of, one of the things I've had, I've had some conversations over the years with friends and, and um, a particular friend who um, a good few years ago, who similarly felt trapped in the police, then moved into another job and then felt found themselves trapped there. And one of the things that they particularly um, liked, but ironically it, it helped with the trap was to, to have a big expensive car. Like a big BMW, the one of the big, big ones, you know. Um, and one of the justifications of having that car was, well, I, I work hard, I deserve it. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. but then the irony of it is that's keeping you doing what you need to do rather than perhaps reducing your hours, that kind of thing. And, and you know, it's not, not for me to judge. And I get, no, I no, get the, the satisfaction never... of having that car potentially, but I don't think she was particularly a car fanatic. Um, you know, but we, it's the narratives we justify things like, oh, well, I need something reliable. I need something that's this. And actually, is that justifying spending way more than actually pragmatically when you talk about that, yeah. the basic lo- leisure luxury, perhaps a basic car is a requirement, but a luxury car, if we're it's trying not. to achieve something else. Yeah, you get something reliable. A 10-year-old Toyota with 100,000 miles on it will be reliable, right? Yeah. So, if, uh, But it doesn't necessarily make us feel good. We don't get excited yeah. about yeah. it. Um and this is where, where I said at the beginning, where basically my job is to manage 
people, we really do tie ourselves in knots in this. And the worst people to listen to very often is ourselves. And I absolutely include myself in that, right? So it, the things, I work hard, I deserve it. You do deserve it, but you don't deserve to be trapped in that hard work. And actually, if you can just realize that that is what it is, it's a form of prison. There is a story I don't know whether it's sort of legend or whatever, and it's sort of in medieval times that there was two sort of princes, right? Two, they were um, obviously vying for the throne and one of them would overeat, right? And his little brother put him in a room with a very narrow door and just kept putting food in, right? And this guy would just eat it and basically became too fat to leave. So even though the door wasn't locked, he couldn't get out. And so he was in a prison of his own making. And if he could only master himself, right. then he could have been able to get out of the room and sort of win the throne or whatever. I mean, it's, yes. it's probably just the story. But the point is, um, it's like the monkey with his hand in the, in the, um, yeah. the thing, getting the nuts. If he lets go of the nuts, he'd get his hand out. Yeah. But because he don't want to let go of that thing, he can't get his hand out and he's trapped. And that's essentially all we're doing by taking on 500 pound a month car loans, um, you know, it's uh, or more house than we need or because we feel deserve it or because that's what, you know, it'll make mom and dad happy to see me successful. Well, I mean, I see cars go past me on the on the road every day and, I, you know, beautiful cars. I, I love cars, right? I love cars, but I drive a one liter Toyota Igo. It's about the size of my shoe, right? <laughs> because I don't want to be trapped paying 500 quid a month i would rather pay 100 quid a month to own that car i do because it's interest free right so right 100 quid a month interest free the other 400 quid a month that i could be spending on a you know beamer or a merc or whatever goes into my isa because that means i can do what i want ultimately and i'm not trapped um it means that i can stop work tomorrow and nothing for two years and i still have plenty of money i can draw from and it's incredibly liberating so we must understand these are prisons of our own making Uh, and if we realize that, we can start to think uh, of ways out. But it's really freaking hard. I, you know, I really wish it wasn't. Yeah. But it's about what is most important to you. Is that freedom enough? Are you so stressed as a midlifer that you're getting to the point where if something doesn't change, it's going to break? Well, one of the things you can change is to vastly reduce your debt, mm. which is... Uh, such a psychological burden, mm. but we we're so used to it. We become almost desensitized to it. Did a video recently called overpay the mortgage or invest. Right. It's a question I get asked all the time. I've got 250 quid a month extra. Should I overpay my mortgage, get it down more, or should I put it away for the future? And the answer is it depends on what kind of person you are, because mathematically you will almost always be better off investing, but there is massive benefit in reducing your debt, which to my mind outweighs the investment benefit. Not often you hear an investment advisor say that, right? But the psychology of money is such that we must try to understand the power it have or has over us and how much we put ourselves in that situation. Uh, and then we can start to think, okay, how do I get out of this? The first thing you do is to reduce your expenses wherever possible. And there's a, there's a ton of ways you can do that. So but debt is a big one. Yeah. And I pick, I pick up on that because having had my own experiences, the psychological weight of that is you can't understate it, can you? Because I remember, I remember when I got to a point where I cleared a lot of debt, and just that day was I walked around in a bit of a daze. Yeah, amazing. Because it it was a feeling like it's not there anymore. You know? Yeah, that's weird. You know, it is weird. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's a little bit like if you've, if I mean, God forbid, if you've had like a cancer diagnosis, and then they tell you you're cancer free. I'm sure. I mean, yeah. I've mercifully never been in that situation. I don't want to sort of uh, cheapen that very serious event, but it is a huge deal when that debt yeah. isn't there. And yeah. it's even better then when you've got yourself into this position where, you know, I could tell my boss to sort off and I'd be fine for six months. Yeah. Even, <laughs> if, I did, even if I didn't find work, that's <laughs> properly liberating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're not recommending you do tell your boss to sort off. Unless you've got six months' money in the bank, right? Yeah. <laughs> and weird up, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. Maybe think about it, yeah. Yeah. But that's that this is the I guess that's that's an interesting one part uh, part of this because I, I, I kind of as I was as you were t- talking, I was thinking about the stories we tell ourselves and 
the comparison between that and potentially trying to lose weight. Now, I've worked <laughs> with a number, number of people over the years who've who focus that. Well, yeah, and me, I'm a work yeah. in progress. By all, <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, but um, it's this. It's this. We can jump on to uh, the new fad mm-hmm. that promises everything, or we go back to the same old thing that I tried before that worked, but then didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, versus potentially taking the bits that work and chunking down and trying to build the small habits, the sprouts, sprout-sized habits. Yeah. And what what often comes <clears throat> across is a sense of overwhelm at looking at the big the big job that needs to be done. And that's why big action, all or nothing, is so seductive, I think. Yeah. Because, oh, I'll get it sorted within six months or whatever. Coming back down to, right, let's just start with, say, what you do first thing on a morning and whether your breakfast, what you breakfast, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, sprout-sized habits. Let's try to get that right and set and forget. It, can't, it feels in itself for many, and I think this is the challenge, that well, what's the point it's so, it, what difference is it going to make? Or it's not going to happen quick enough, you know? Uh, ironically, over time, you go slow. You, you go slow in order to go fast. You get the results yeah. cumulatively building up. So in terms of weight, I, I had um, Simon Ward as triathlete coach on one of my earlier podcast episodes, and he was talking about exactly that. He works with high-performance uh, triathletes, uh, people, and, you know, well, I would dare say normal people like me, you know, who kind of, in mm-hmm. that boat, but it talks about shifting your lifestyle around. But I think it's the same challenge financially because yes. you see such a big, potentially such a big challenge and you want to fix it now. I want some big solution now because I, I'm, I'm sick of carrying the psychological weight when actually coming back to the small things, what can I shave off here? What can I do? Can I trade that car in and or sell it and get the smaller thing? Can I see if I can get a better deal on? Yeah. Um, can I cancel that? feels like well it's just 10 quid here it's you know what what difference does it make yeah it it really adds up and i use the sort of weight loss metaphor all the time as well because there's tons of parallels between Mm. getting financially healthy and getting uh fit so you're right there's always something shiny like either a new fad or somebody who has just packaged up the basics in a way that is really attractive Mm. right so you know you might there's plenty of sort of diet pills and stuff which you definitely should not buy off the internet or then you've got things like noom which is an app and it has a whole lot of psychology behind the whole weight loss thing which is really interesting and obviously doing very well you got stuff like swimming world and um slimming world and weight watchers they've been going forever and clearly it works but underneath all of these things it is those small changes that is the sort of the basic building blocks of physical health. So, you know, calories in versus energy out, you know, calories out, energy expended, all that sort of stuff, balance of your macronutrients, your proteins, your carbs, your um, fiber, all that sort of stuff. And it's the same with finance. You know, it comes down to not overspending, right? Not like not overeating. So being mindful of what you spend, Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that is so easy to do by default is what I call lifestyle creep, where you get a pay rise and immediately you're like, hang on, I'm earning like 100 quid a month more than I was six months ago. And yet there's still nothing left. Why is that? You look back, you think actually 10 years ago, I was earning two thirds of what I'm earning now. And yet there's still nothing left every month. And I've actually got more debt. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And, and simply our lifestyle rises to meet our income by default in order to stop that we have to be one of my favorite words intentional you've got to actually say what am i going to spend not i've got this much coming in this month so that's what i've got to spend yes right what am i going to eat i could eat everything off this menu but that probably you know will be a recipe for a heart attack so actually i'm going to be intentional i'm going to take my time and choose the right things off this menu i'm going to do my budget and choose what i'm going to spend my money on and I'm going to make sure that the first thing I spend my money on is myself. And I'm going to put some in my savings or I'm going to reduce my debt. Before I pay the rent or the mortgage or the electric or whatever, I'm going to pay myself first. So it's really about being intentional. You have to tell your money where to go just as you have to tell, you know, the, <laughs> tell yourself how many calories you're going to consume. Yeah. <laughs> I feel a bit of a fraud because I'm a fat get, right? But <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm pretty good with money, not so much with calories. <laughs> so... <laughs> We all have our strengths. Yeah, well, I know what you mean but as a work in progress myself, but I think <clears throat> well, there's, a, there's a lot that I wanted to pick out here. Um, 
I'll give you that kind of thought exercise of maybe a 12-month time, six weeks off, which, you know, for some appeal, for many of us, it's potentially, you know, I just want to get a bit back in control of my finances so that I can have a bit of space to maybe start to think about what options I've reduced my hours, maybe take some unpaid leave, mm-hmm. maybe look at an alternative, less less paid job, or even a, a side hustle business type of thing. So it's about that flexibility, I guess. So we mentioned debt. And, you know, looking at your income outgoings, if somebody is just looking to create a bit of space, um, you know, that 12 to two years type of thing, mm-hmm. looking at lifestyle, what what's the income outcome? Where do they start? And what's how do they factor in dealing with any debt that they have? What's, what's their yeah. general advice on that? Yeah, no, the way to deal with debt, uh, firstly, there's good and bad debt, right? So, uh, Mortgage is generally a good debt. The definitions between the two is that good debt is usually low interest and is used to buy stuff which will generally appreciate, grow in value. So right. a mortgage is a good debt, right? It's cheap, really, relatively, certainly at the minute. And houses generally rise in value. It is a generalization, but they do, right? And it's, it's a tangible asset. Whereas a credit card, which you, know, you might pay 15% on and use it to buy a TV, which is essentially worthless the second you hang it on the wall... That would be bad debt, right? So credit cards, overdrafts, personal loans, store cards, payday loans are the worst of the worst. These are all bad debts. For God's sake, avoid Klarna at all costs. Buy now, pay later is like a gateway drug, right? Mm-hmm. So, but it's everywhere at the minute, you know, which is really worrying trend, particularly for younger folks. But for restless midlifers, these are the bad debts. You need to get rid of those as quick as possible. Good debts like a mortgage, we can put those off and deal with those in good time. Um. It, bad debts because they are high interest and you know they they kind of they take such a big chunk of our wage before we've done anything you know you got all the debt repayments and then we've got to like heat and light the house and eat and stuff and then there's naff all left hardly so in order to deal with debt we've got to really sort of laser focus on it uh, and there's no way around that the best way i know how to do it is something called the debt snowball so it's simply the process is you list your debts in order of the size of the outstanding balance, right? I'll come back to the alternative in a minute. So that is with the smallest first, right? So let's say you've got three credit cards. Uh, whichever one is the smallest outstanding balance, that goes at the top. And then in order of outstanding balance, you pay the minimum payments on all of them except for the smallest. Right. And then you throw everything you can at the smallest. Okay. Right? So... You are then paying much more, hopefully, than the minimum payment. You have to budget. You have to say, okay, right, I've got currently I'm paying 200 quid a month to just service these debts, minimum payments. Right. I'm going to try and find 300 quid a month. I'm going to try and find an extra 100 quid that I can really attack this debt with. So you pay your minimum payments on everything except for the smallest one, and you put the rest of your debt reduction budget against that smallest one. Get rid of it as quick as possible. And before too long, you'll have a letter that says, you owe us nothing. Fantastic. Then you start your focus on the next smallest one. You keep paying the minimum payments on the the bigger ones and on the next smallest one. And that's where it's called a snowball. So it starts to grow because by the time you get to the end of it, the last one, you're chucking away all of your monthly debt reduction budget against the biggest debt and it comes down quickly. Now, the alternative is called the debt avalanche. No idea why, where you do them in order of uh, interest rate and you pay off the highest interest rates first. Um, That also works really well. But the reason why I like the snowball paying off the smallest debt first is because you get a quicker win, right? Talk about these things taking a while. They can be hard to persevere with. That quick win is incredibly motivating. Right, tick, that one's off. Let's move on to the next one. We've got this. And we start to feel like we actually might just be able to see this through. So you've got to really throw everything at the debt. Don't um, split your focus by saying, well, actually, I'm going to pay down debt, but I'm also going to pay into my ISA. I just wouldn't do that. It doesn't make financial sense. Probably you're paying too much interest on your debt to justify save, you know, saving into an ISA or whatever. I would delay saving into an ISA and throw everything I could at the debt. One other thing just to say on that, I would try to get, before you really get serious with your debt, I would try to put... Um, a small emergency fund in place, even if it's just 500 quid or a thousand quid, just, I know that'll seem like a lot to some people, but you know, the world as a, or the universe as a way of chucking stuff at us when we can least afford it. But when you put that little bit of buffer between you and, you know, stuff going wrong, stuff tends to go wrong less 
weirdly. But the idea behind that, just that little cash buffer, is that you know if you have a dodgy MOT on the car and you have to have 500 quid worth of work done on it, you don't have to get deep back into debt to pay that. You've got the cash set aside, right? Um, so that you can pay it. You know that's done. You can keep going with your debt reduction and not sort of have that sort of pullback where you're oh, drat. I've had to go, I had to put 500 quid car repair bill on my credit card. And, you know, I spent three months paying off that 500 quid and now I've lost three months, all that sort of stuff. So these are the basic mechanics, David. But, you know, that there's no other way really to do it than that. I think that's the most effective way to do it. Best way is to try and avoid getting in bad debt altogether. But I realize that's really difficult and many of us have got it. So, get rid of the bad debt quickly. I would use the debt snowball to do that. I love that. And, and if I can kind of chuck my ex, my experience in on this, I can totally um, support the the power of the snowball, mm-hmm. not just in actually getting rid of it, but the psychological impact yes. of that. Oh, man. And, and this is where I guess the rest of midlife for me is about regroup, reshape, yes. re, redesign your life kind of love thing. It. But the love regroup it. is about get your head back from stress, get, you know, get a bit of time space. The reshape is reshape yourself, but also mm-hmm. your financial situation. And for me, what I, what I found, um, I had to learn some painful lessons as I did because I started, this was a good few years ago when I had about 50 odd grand's worth of debt that was just, you know, I got myself mm-hmm. into a silly place, whatever. And that mountain looked pretty high. But what I did was I tried to do, I decided to do a snowball, but then got all or nothing with my snowball. I thought, right, I'll chuck more in. And I could, it was more than I could afford. So then the next month I was having to, as you said, rob Peter to pay Paul. And so as I started to settle into this, a spreadsheet is the best thing in the world. Because right, yeah. Checking it, you look, I don't need that. And then I'll put that onto the onto the, uh, the, the snowball deck. But the, the, the thing that led to consistent success was having that emergency fund. Yeah. Because you're right, it takes off that pressure of thinking, oh, man, the car, the tires, I've got the exhaust blowing, whatever. Right. That kind of thing. I've got it there. It's not going to interrupt my lower level snowball effect, mm-hmm. the sprout sweating size rather than the all or nothing snowball that I was doing. Um, and I could stay on track a bit more. So mm-hmm. that combination, and I, I can kind of see me spreadsheets over the time. I still use them today to look at check in every, every other day or whatever to, to make sure that I'm where I'm at. And that lifestyle creep is something that does happen. So really checking in every so often to say, hang on a minute, right. What have I spent there? What I've added ten quid to Sky. Why? Did, why is that? Why? Why? Why have I added ten quid for a package we never watch? You know that kind of thing. Aye. That's easy to do. Um, so it, it, it sounds like, <clears throat> yes, it's the basics, but it's about that consistency of just knowing where you're at. So for me, the spreadsheet was is the is the starting mm-hmm. point, and then constantly checking in and but sort of going slightly less than you think you could do to be able to do it consistently. Does that? So. Yeah, absolutely, hundred hundred percent right. Your own experience, you know, reflects mine and countless people that have contacted me over the over the years. And um, yeah, I think with finance, we need to kind of release ourselves from the words "should," uh, "best," "optimum." Right? There's too many variables at play. Not least because we are organic, fallible, you know, weirdly uh, irrational beings and we need to give ourselves a bit of a break on this stuff but understand that there is real reward and real benefit from taking this stuff seriously as early as we can so if we can find our way i mean you know go in the loft and sell half the crap up there that you don't need right you probably find a thousand quid there dead easy do that and stick it in an account and don't touch it and then say right how much you know, if I cut out a load of stuff that I don't actually need, if I give the car back and save that 500 quid a month I'm paying, buy something for 100 quid a month, right? Then how quickly can I get rid of this bad debt, really? And then you start to think, well, actually, you know, it's only two and a half years. It might sound like a long time, but I bet actually I can, I can get that down. And you almost become, it becomes gamifying. I, I hear all the time people get a couple of months in and they're like, what else can I find to pay off this debt? You know, okay, can I sell my kidney or one of the kids or something? You know, I don't really like the dog that much. Perhaps somebody will take the dog off my hands. Do you know what I mean? What can I sell to try and get rid of it as quick as possible? And it becomes almost a competition with ourselves. One thing I would say is that if you're in a relationship, do this together, if at all possible. And that might be that yours is the debt. I mean, that was definitely my case, right? Mine was the debt. My wife was in great financial shape when we got married. So, you know, every couple's different. So it might not be that you're asking your 
partner to help you pay your debt, but you can ask them to hold you accountable and things like that and come up with a plan together and say, how are we going to deal with this? If that's your situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's absolutely, uh, that's, that's critical as well. Um, and the idea, say, say you mentioned the two and a half years, and I think this is similar. This is where the comparison between, you know, reshaping, you know, your health and what have you is oh, two and a half years is such a long time. But if we look back over our lives, both physically, but also financially, how many times have we maybe started on the new diet or whatever? And then two years have passed and we've been on four of them and we're back to where we were or a bit worse. And that's the same financially. So it's kind of recognizing that, you're going to be two years, two and a half years, God willing, is going to happen anyway. Yeah, it is. So, so might not yeah. be further forth than you are now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And actually, it's only a little bit longer than this bloody pandemic's been around. It's not that long at all, <laughs> is it? Do you know what I mean? And it's, exactly. it, it feels like it when you put it in numbers of months or whatever, but yeah. it's like, actually, you know, it's not that long. And probably it won't take you that long with a fair wind and, and some real sort of consistent laser focus. Yeah. But it just what it makes possible, Dave, is so exciting and inspiring and freeing. Um, there's a there's a real benefit in community in this as well. So I mean, there's tons of great online uh, communities. My own Facebook group is uh, a place where we can, you know, there's eight and a half thousand people in there, and they're all sort of like minded and really supportive. And if people put in there that you know got rid of one of their debts. You know, there's like everybody piles on and says, fantastic, keep going, congratulations. Yeah. You know, and there is, it's easier than ever to find community of, of people going through the same stuff um, that we are. So draw from that, you know, it's mm -hmm. free and cheap and easier to find than ever. So, you know, you're not on your own. This is unfortunately just part of modern life, or it's assumed that it needs to be, debt that is, or financial lack of control, but it really doesn't. You don't need to be tied to your paycheck, but it just requires learning and implementing some of this stuff yeah. uh, it's a lot easier than you think yeah and i think it's getting started but then how do you keep going and i think that's what you're absolutely right community is a great one so um uh, if you want to give a shout out to to the name of your facebook group because yeah it's just the meaningful stuff. money the meaningful money community um community so if you search meaningful money on facebook you'll find it but it's meaningfulmoney.tv slash community will take you to that uh, great nearly nine thousand people um wow. Do you know what's really cool, though, is if you've been saying, right, okay, I'm going to put 300 quid a month against my debt. The day will come where your debt's all gone. Yeah. And then you have a choice. What right. do I do with that 300 quid a month that I've been really consistently, diligently paying against my debt every month? What am I going to do with it now? Am I just going to blow it all? I think actually probably for two or three months you should and reward <laughs> yourself. Do you know what I mean? For having stuck at it you know yeah. just like you know why not you, you know life's for living but then think actually i've managed perfectly well over the last couple of years not to spend that 300 quid a month on crap i don't need so what can i do with it now and then it starts to get really interesting because if you can stick that 300 quid a month into a stock chairs isa before you know it there'll be 50 grand in there you know given five years six years seven years or whatever and you think okay now now we're getting serious yeah right that's serious screw you money right yeah, there's a couple of things there. That that is such a that's such that's something I found is. I'll come back to the community thing very shortly in a minute, actually, because I do want to pick up on that. I think that's an important thing. But one of the things I found was that I suddenly found myself saying, you know, when I was putting that three hundred quid a month away, as opposed to snowballing, mm -hmm. I was thinking, but I don't do that kind of thing. <laughs> you know who am i who who is this person is this, yeah. and it, and it's it's those moments where you suddenly see that the there is a shift in who you who you are and it's about starting to believe that identity i, I talk a lot about narratives and how we identify ourselves through the stories we tell ourselves now in the past i told myself that i was i'm useless with money i know nothing about money it, it, there's a you know the, there's a pocket a hole in my pocket and money burns through blah 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 but as I got to grips with this and started to get excited, as you were saying, you know, about the little wins, you see that balance come down on one card and, and, and yeah. then you start to put money away. You think, bloody hell, who yeah. is this person? Amazing. And that shift is a powerful thing. It really, really is. And it, it, you'll just come alive with it. Yeah. Uh, because suddenly now you're not, as the guys on the Choose FI podcast, they talk about getting back to zero, <laughs> right, from a minus figure. You know, we've done that. And now we're really adding and we're building wealth. Yeah. And before you know it, you'd be like 300 quid a month. What if we make it 350 or I've just had a pay rise or I've had a bonus of five grand. How much of that can I put away? And it, you really do get, and before you know it, you're a millionaire. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, people are not like, yeah, all right. 
Okay, but I see it all the time. Right. I see it from folks who only got started in maybe their late 30s, but they got the bug and they suddenly started, you know, they're not living like monks, but they're not chucking money away unnecessarily on tax or on uh, stuff they don't need. They're, uh, but now they're getting to the point where actually I'm 55 and I could maybe call it a day. Mm. And it's like, geez, I never expected that. 20 years ago, I think I'm going to be working till 67 and that's it. And so you can suddenly then make a significant difference when you're not paying money away in interest rates to debt and you're getting the benefit of the growth on that money, you know, by investing it. That's a whole other subject. Perhaps we'll come on another day and talk about investing. Yeah. Yeah, do you know what I mean? But once you get into that and it's a lot easier than you think it is, it's easier than it's ever been, then you start to see your money grow, which is even more exciting. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and I suppose it's other sides because I'm, you know, I'm thinking that what we're trying to do is balance that with that the physical side. If you're if you're working really hard, there's also the scope potentially as you start to think about how am I going to reasonably snowball. Mm-hmm. So um, and then I, maybe I've paid off and I've got that money. Is there a fr- is there a choice there potentially to reduce my hours or to look at you know as you as we seen before? So you get choice, yes, and yes. you know depending on where you're at in life and what your goals are. So I guess part of it is is this something that you t- you talk to clients around? Is how does it fit into your bigger picture of where the direction of your life? You know, oh, yes. yeah, so yeah. how how does that play out? For- yeah, well, <laughs> professionally, obviously. <sighs> we're a chartered firm so we tend to deal primarily with people who are in the run into retirement yeah. so these are generally people who have built wealth right ironically i spend the vast majority of my time with my clients telling them to spend their own money for god's sake and not not dying rich hmm. right and so you know we take them through a process where based on some assumptions we have software that can model how, you know how their money will last and we can say okay well if we leave everything equal in this model, but you spend 10 grand a year more or 20 grand a year more than you're telling me you want to spend, what impact does that have? Oh, turns out you run out of money at 85. That's not ideal. You'd have to sell your house and downsize. So actually probably 20 grand a year more spending is too much. Let's start it back. And we tried to get to the, to the point where I can free them up to spend their own money. Right. There's a real transition point at retirement, which I know we're not really talking about, but we spend our working life accumulating. And then it's a real shift to move into what gets like me call decumulation, which is a terrible word, which is basically spending. Right. So you go from growing the money to spending it. And actually, that's a real shift because it also very often comes at the same time where you no longer have a guaranteed income coming in. Mm. or not much of one, or a significantly reduced one compared to when you were working. You go down to just your pension or state pension or whatever. So it can be like, oh, flipping heck, I was bringing in so many thousands a month. Now it's only a thousand, but I've got this pot of money to draw from. It's like a bucket with a tap on it. I have to be careful how open, how far open I draw the tap because I don't want to spend all my money too quickly. And so I spend a lot of time managing that. But most of the people we work with have got themselves into a position where they don't need to worry about running out. They need to worry about dying too rich right. and not having fully lived or not having fully supported the causes that they care about or given to their kids to get on the property ladder. So I spent a ton of time telling people to spend more money, give it away. Because to be honest, once you've got to a point of having enough, and I don't deal with mega millionaires, Dave, right? We're talking, these are ordinarily people who have worked hard all their lives and just done the stuff we've been talking about. They haven't had bad debt. They've saved for the future and invested properly. Mm. So they're, they're ordinary people. But because of that, because all the skills that they've employed to get them to the point where they can retire, they have to unlearn some of it and just learn to loosen themselves and give themselves a bit of a break. But part of the ways we do that is to get them excited about what's possible. Right. I have one example. Lady, single lady, divorced ages ago, no kids. Very, um, you know, comfortable. She wasn't mega wealthy. She owned her own home. She had a rental property, which paid her, uh, um, a rent and she had a teacher's pension and lived within it. She had about 40 grand in the bank. So comfortable, but not rich, mm. right? Not going nuts. A friend of hers, this is unusual. <clears throat> a friend of hers left a three quarters of a million quid, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like man alive, completely life-changing money, but I had to work seriously hard with her to get her to change her thinking patterns because her life had basically changed overnight. She had a sister in Australia and when she told me she was going to see her, I said, I hope to God you're flying business class. And she said, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. I said, yes, you can. 
<laughs> right? You can fly, fly business class twice a year for the rest of your life. Woman's in her mid seventies, right? Yeah. And you're not going to burn through three quarters of a million quid. It's just maths. So part of my job, a large part of my job is inspiring people to spend their own money and to enjoy the benefits of what they've done. Hmm. Uh, and it's, it's a lot of fun, actually, I have to say. Yeah. You have to excite people and make them understand what's possible. Whatever stage you're at, just finally, sorry, I know I tend to soapbox a little bit, but whatever point you're at, having a sense of what's possible and being inspired by that then translates to, to action we tend to limit our beliefs about what's possible with money, whether we're in too much debt and we just don't know how to get rid of it or whether we've got too much money and we don't know how to spend it. it might sound like, well, that's not a problem. I could, I could work my way through that quite easy, but I spend all day every day working with clients to help them to spend their money intelligently. Mm. Right. So you have to just understand the maths behind it, but it's not as difficult as it might sound. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, this I think because there is a lot of that, the narratives and the limiting beliefs around, well, money, yeah. uh, our self-image, you know, how comfortable we are on our skin. There's similar things in the sense that we yeah. put it, there's a lot of ex, like pressures and influences out there in the world, a lot of misinformation, and yes. also a lot of pressure we put on ourselves. So it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because <clears throat> firstly, allowing yourself to think, well, for, I can, things can be different. Yes, there's a bit of graft, there might be a bit of rethinking, there might be some decisions that are pragmatic tough decisions in, in some respects. I have to get real about some things like my debt, you know, my health, etc. But I can, there is a vision that there is a direction of travel um, that I could head, you know, head in um, that's different to when I, you know, I've had many conversations with friends who, particularly within the police profession, because they're secure, is like, I'm counting down the days. You know, that's a common conversation you used to have in the police was yeah, sure. getting a panda on a night shift and say, so how many, how, how long have you got till you retire? And it, and it ranged from anything from like 30 years to, <laughs> to 25 to two to whatever. Oh, you lucky, you know, whatever. Mm. But it's like we're putting life on hold to that and yeah. almost parking the power that we have now if we do some of these things at whatever time, you know, whether you're 30 I, or 50. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's really important. You've got to do the work. Nobody ever fell out of bed and onto the podium at the Olympics, right? There's no small <laughs> yeah. work that goes into it. Yes. So, it, and it takes understanding, it takes consistency, and it takes desire slash motivation. And my job and my life's work really is to try and say, look, this stuff is possible. It's not as difficult as it sounds. And even with all the things ranged against us, like the culture, the Instagram spent, you know, lifestyle sort of garbage that we see there, the sort of filtered uh, stuff, despite all that sort of stuff working against us, actually the system is set up to help us succeed we just need to understand it. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's what, that's what I do, basically, is trying yeah. to explain how this stuff works. Yeah, great. Now, I'm conscious of time. I, I could go yeah, on I'm all right. You, talked about, you wanted to talk about community, though, didn't you? Oh, yes, yes. I mentioned that. I did, yes. Okay, so we'll go to community and then kind of have some closing thoughts. But you mentioned the investment part, too. So can I hold <laughs> you to that at some yes, point? Yes, absolutely, 100%. Right. I'm down for it. Great, because that would that that I think it would be the, a great next step for this. Um, yeah, the community side, I think... Um, we talk. You talk about the Instagram Instagram influences and the negative influences, and perhaps the cultures that we might be operating in. Particularly, you know, like I, I speak, you know, very much about the my back the the policing environment where you know many of us would talk about the pension and you know I work some overtime and the robin bastards when you get your pay slip and that kind of thing. And you know, yes, it's banders culture as community, but you, when you're talking about trying to shift, you do need some positive power co- and encouraging community. And I, I, one of the things that I, I love the idea of your Facebook group and that encouragement, because one of the things I learned I, as somebody who's been in, consistently inconsistent with fitness, should I say, over the years, I it really started a click when I um, second time round re- rejoined the CrossFit gym that I'm in, CrossFit Taylor Train, and give them a shout out because they're great, um, and just not only were they great instructors but started and and really gelled during lockdown ironically because we were doing zoom sessions yeah sure gelled that sense of real community and can do an encouragement no matter what your ability what your level of perhaps you know you might have a flexibility issue or an injury or whatever the encouragement that can do that community is something that i can't i can't put my finger on that, that it, it gets inside you. it's it's visceral yeah, And you get to the point where you feel guilty for missing a session. I'm doing a challenge for myself, 60 burpees a day till I'm 60. So I've got nine and a half years. Uh, no, <laughs> don't, don't. But it's, um, 
nuts, but it's now become the standing thing within the class because I get in, drop Rosie off at school, get in, do me 60, and, and everybody kind of, they have the banter and the encouragement. And I now know that I can't miss a day, even if I wanted to, you know, but that whole, but it's in a very supportive way. Yeah. So coming back to the financial side, if somebody is looking to reshape and to get to grips, yes, we need to do some, you know, get the spreadsheet up. We need to work things out, make some decisions, involve our partner, but find the right community that can, that yes. can share those goals. Really important. Yeah. yeah. It's, we are, we're social beings. We benefit, even if we're introverts, right? We benefit from uh, like social proof, social encouragement, and a safe environment to vent if we have a crap day. Or if we blow it, because we will, right? Something shiny will come across our paths and they'll be like, oh, I will just buy that after all. And you're like, ah, oh, drat. I've done it oh, countless times myself. So if you're in a supportive environment where people don't judge you, this is why, this is why Slimming World and, and Weight Watchers have experienced the success that they have. Yeah. Really, it's not the system. It's the community, and there's all the stats about, you know, if you're going to lose weight, you, you stay to the class, stay yeah. to the group where you share your, your challenges and your difficulties and stuff, and you get encouragement. You're far more likely to succeed on those things than if you just go away and then leave. So we've, we benefit from community, man, and there's so much uh, power in that. Sorry about the fire alarm test going off in the background. <laughs> there you go. I'll put my mic back up now. <laughs> <laughs> hate that it does occasionally happen on a friday morning when yeah. we're recording Never mind. Yeah. no i think you're right and i think so part of this is if, if we're looking at i think probably a good point to start wrapping things up then and we'll, i will hold you to the part two um in due course but i think it's it's the idea but whatever age you know i'm 51 and, and i've done some work and i would say i was later in life when i started to get those things but it does work so if you're mm-hmm. 40s 50 and you're looking to make a start now is the best time absolutely so the first steps, what would you say would be the first step? Somebody who's perhaps professional working hard, they're maxing out, they've got a bit of debt, maybe have a pension in the background. Right. What would yeah. the, First what steps would are, first step? forget your pension, that will largely look after itself. Now, if you, obviously it depends if you're in something like the police or any kind of public sector where you've got uh, a brilliant scheme, it's a core benefit of the service that you guys have provided. Um, don't worry about the pension, that'll sort itself out, right? Think of your pay as being after having so for god's sake don't stop paying into your pension right? that's just like job one stay in the pension join it if you're not in it um but then it's about knowing your spending and you know sometimes we have just have to look at ourselves what are we spending our money on and are we happy with that chances are we're probably not if we're starting to feel like we need to make a change so what can we change what can we immediately free up right what can we just jettison you know we cancel sky or disney plus or whatever um what can we jettison and then rather than filling that money up unintentionally we say right okay turns out i've saved 200 quid a month by shifting my car insurance or you know uh canceling this xyz or whatever i found 200 quid a month would you believe it what am i going to do with that well, the thing, the answer is build that little starter emergency fund, 500, quid as a sort of immediate short-term buffer. Then once that's done, throw everything against your debt, use the snowball, all right? Know your spending, find what you can, sell the kids or the stuff in the loft, right? To accelerate this process, but then drill down the debt first. When that's gone, increase your emergency fund a little bit, get it to three months of your expenses, basic expenses, yeah. right? Then we build on that foundation. We'll start talking. We'll talk about basics of life insurance and all that, the sort of the foundation that everything's built on, and then how to uh, invest and how to really maximize what your pension is doing for you and all that sort of stuff. We'll talk about that in part two. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Awesome. And join a community. Some, you know, people who can be counter the narratives or the, the perhaps the, the, the culture, whether at home or workplace that you're in, yeah. to help you know that you stat you can it is worth it you can keep going it's worthwhile yes. sweat those sprouts sweat those sprout size actions keep doing it and and get that encouragement yeah. yeah 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 and just learn about this stuff learn teach yourself yeah. i mean i wrote a book because i couldn't find a book that was basically the book that people needed right yeah. where it just had everything in one place so I, I wrote it. I wrote it in 2018, and it's it's done pretty well, and it still stacks up, even though it's you know coming up three and a half years old. It's the, you know all the stuff in there is still right, um, and it's those three steps: spend less than you earn and clear all the debt. Then 
insure yourself against disaster and insure yourself particularly about against not being able to work mm-hmm. and then start to build on top of that foundation. It's the three steps in the book. So that's a bit of a plug. So what, what, shout the title out for the, the, the book and we'll get the links in the show notes. Yeah, The Meaningful Money Handbook. Get in. So, right. yeah, I'll, uh, yeah. That's great. The links. Brilliant. And uh, so I think that's a great place to to end the show. Thank you so much for your time, Peter. It's been a brilliant conversation. I've loved it. No, I've loved it too. Day. Thanks for having me, mate. It's been, been, been fun. And massive respect to everybody who's listening. You know, you can totally do this. You know, hit me up and, uh, you know, just reach out if I can help. Great. So give us any particular links. I know we mentioned a few times, but let's summarize. I'll put them right. in the show notes. Yeah. You can find everything really at meaningfulmoney.tv. So you can jump off for everything there, video, podcast, all that sort of stuff. Meaningfulmoney.tv. Brilliant. Great. And thank you listeners for uh, engaging with this one. And if you have any questions as Pete's already committed to a part two, (laughs) (laughs) fire the questions in uh, any thoughts, feedback or any stories that you have yourself, because I think what can be really empowering and encouraging is to hear that somebody has perhaps been in a similar position and managed and succeeded to get through that again is where community comes in, isn't it? Really, So it's, it's really worthwhile. So thank you. Show notes will contain all the links and um, stay tuned for future episodes. And thanks very much, Pete being brilliant thank you thanks for having me mate cheers i hope you've enjoyed this episode of the restless midlifer for more links and details relating to the episode and the show visit restlessmidlifer.com and it would really help if you go to the show in your podcast app click on review and then rate the show and share why you value it until next time proudly live your own restless midlife take care